Okay, yes, we've, uh, we've pressed the record button, so it's, it's happening. We're running. Everything <laughs> yeah. is happening. Oh my God, we're on. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go. Yeah, you, 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 you go, Holly. All right, so this is your buddy. We're bringing oh, in. Oh, how do you know? How do you know? I, I booked this special guest because of his musical knowledge. I thought, oh, no, so, now you're building my part. Now you're building my part. Yeah, I am. I already have. So, hey, Dave. Hey, Holly, what's going on? Hey, welcome to What Difference Does It Make? It's great to be here. <laughs> I I love when we bring in special guests. We have a guest. I'm so excited. I've, we've been waiting for you. I mean, not just today. We've <laughs> been waiting for you to arrive in Los Angeles. I'm so excited to have you because you're, enci- you're an encyclopedia. But Who is I'm going to introduce you. Yeah, please do. This is Dan McGrath, currently the creative director at No Sheet Music which is a, a production, a music production house in, in the UK. He's also a composer uh, and producer of, of music and TV themes. Most notably, can I say it? I know. Yeah. Uh, okay. Most notably for, uh, well, I'll start with Dancing with the Stars because that's how we know it here, but also strictly uh, come dancing in the UK. Yep. And I'm going to let Dan, so those are his... Those are some of his credentials. I'm going to let him tell you about his, his past because he's also a radio guy and a music guy. So give us a little. Dan, take it away. We will. Welcome. Yay. Hello. hello Thank hello. you. All right. <laughs> Woo. You've done all, the, you've done all the headlines now. I've got to kind of go through the dull stuff. You can tell me when it gets dull. I have more if you want me to say it. It's much I, more exciting I, coming from you. I, I, so, yeah, my whole uh, – my career, I spent my time trying to be in music because that's what I love, I hope. And um, – Started when I was a sound engineer back in uh, the 80s, as we all uh, know and love. Um, and yeah, I met, when I was very young, I went into a recording studio and saw uh, mixing desks and I saw speakers. And I thought, I want to be in a room like this as much as I can be for the rest of my life. And hey, here we are again in a room with speakers <laughs> and mixing desks. So that was kind of my, that was my remit. Um, and yeah, bought Starman when I was seven years old. And from then on in... I was in, tried to get into the world of music and recording studios. So I, my career was a sound engineer. I went through radio production in the 90s. So for 10 years, I worked with a guy called Chris Evans, who um, he was kind of billed as the UK Howard Stern at the time in the 90s. He was the, the enfant terrible. And we went on the air and we did zoo format radio. So we did this a lot. We sat in a room together with mics and we just shot the breeze it felt like, you know, it was a bit more than that. Um, and that for, yeah, and that was a phenomenal time in my career because I just did some very high profile radio shows and met lots of very famous people and had a lot of wild times. <laughs> That's a different podcast, that one, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, That's going to be the added, the added uh, value. Yeah, stop me when I'm rambling. So, um, and so that was that. And then in 2001, um, there were, uh, there was a moment where we were famously sacked. The whole team was sacked, and it's uh, recorded in the UK press quite uh, quite publicly. And weirdly, I just bumped into somebody in LA and went, "Hey!" and he went, "Hey!" and I knew him around that time. So there's a there's a thing, and he's now living in Beverly Hills and having a good time. Um, and um, I went into writing TV music in 2001, and I teamed up with a guy called Josh Phillips, and we just started getting work writing entertainment music mainly and so the the, the Strictly slash Dancing with the Stars thing was early on in about 2004 came to America in 2006 that piece of music and so for us that was kind of that kind of opened doors and got us to write a lot of TV music and uh, entertainment TV music so very short pieces of music that don't last long and you've won awards for them 
Well, we get an ASCAP award, which is, uh, you, you know, in the States, the ASCAP is one of the collection societies that collects royalties on music. So we get an award from ASCAP every year, not because the music's any good. We get an award because the music just gets played. But I'm not arguing. <laughs> an award is an award. I don't have any. Hey, uh, uh, although as my friend Mitch says, don't thank me, pay me. But, um, you know, yeah. yeah, so we get an award for yes. that reason because it gets it gets broadcast. It's one of the most broadcast pieces of music in America or was. Maybe we won't get one this year. I don't know. So we, <laughs> we get to go and sit in a room with people who did CSI and those kind of shows. And um, it's, yeah, it's cool. It's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you get in the door? I mean, you just you miraculously some this music doesn't just end up on a producer's desk and it's like, oh, this is brilliant. Let's say, who is this? I don't know. You know, David, I don't care. You know, <laughs> the, the, it's, it's who you know. It's absolutely yeah. who you know. And, I, and at the time when I went into write TV music, it was because I had a really good black book full of people that were in television and radio. And I kind of thought this is this is a way of uh, of continuing a career. Um so yeah, I the the executive producer phoned me up and said uh, we're looking for pitches, and w- so it's uh, and in the UK it was a show that was, it was so they said it's like Saturday night. The guy presenting it was a guy called Bruce Forsyth, the late Bruce Forsyth, who is a, a British TV icon, uh, and they said it's a dancing show. And it's back in the seventies there was a show called Come Dancing on in the UK, and my mum and I used to watch this show, and it was really dull it was like <laughs> there's jenny and steve and they're going to be doing the paso doble and steve's wearing the black outfit and jenny's wearing it off the shoulder and it was all very low-key and very british and they said yeah we're doing we're going to do that show but with celebrities and it was around the time in the uk where everything was called all-star this or celebrity that every tv show was you know any entertainment that's back, show. by the way huh? that's back by the way that's back. Yeah. It's doing that all, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so they were going but we're going to call it it was going to be called celebrity come dancing and then they changed to Strictly Come Dancing because of uh, Strictly Ballroom. And uh, mm. I remember saying to Josh, the guy I write with at the time, that's a terrible idea. Nobody's going to watch that show. <laughs> it's still on in the, it's still on in the right? UK nearly uh, 20 odd years, nearly 20, you know, 15, 16 years later. And it's not showing any signs of going anywhere. That's crazy. And is that, where Ray, is that where Ray Davies probably got the, the title? Well, Come his, Dancing. Well, yeah. no, he was way before that. Was, oh, you see the TV show? Yeah, no, no, probably the original. Well, yeah, the ti- yeah, the title of his oh. song in the 80s, uh, Come Dancing. It may well have been that from, that, from that dance show. Yeah, it could have been. Okay. Let's just say yes. <laughs> Who knew? We're going to say yes. yes. Ray did. Yes. Phone in Ray now. <laughs> Ask him. Ask him next time you speak with him. All right. So He's not listening. <laughs> so then let's go back. To, uh, should we go to the – how do you want to take this? Okay. So – I we we right. met oh, we we met through through the radio business music, yeah. but I the reason I was so uh, excited to have you on the show is because of your vast knowledge of eighties music, <laughs> and I thought it would be really fun to talk with you. Although I'll probably end up really being really embarrassed. Dave won't because he knows everything, but he probably doesn't know everything about the the type of music that da- that Dan knows about. I don't know it across the pond. I think uh, I think probably- so. Well, the interesting thing is going to be that, isn't it? Is the is the, yeah. the, the the cultural differences because there's a shed load of bands that you guys probably know and love or knew and love, and a load mm-hmm. of bands that I know and love that were very UK centric, and mm-hmm. you know you got the US centric bands. So that'll be interesting. I don't know if I have an encyclopedic knowledge, but I'm. <laughs> You know, well, you're passionate. Eight, eight, let's you're say eighties electronica. Let's go there because I can hopefully give it a go. But if we start getting really nerdy about it, I might struggle. I have my uh, I have my classic eighties pop book here, ladies and gentlemen, so I can get that out at any point. In- Did you buy that just because you knew you were no. coming here? Hey, no, this was on my shelf <laughs> because people know me. So somebody bought this for me, and I've got a I've got a quick list. I'm going to have to throw at you in a minute for a, for a certain reason. But uh, anyway, go on. okay. <laughs> 
Do you want to open with that? Well, uh, okay, I will do if you want me to. So, uh, you know, the whole notion of this being uh, an 80s-centric uh, programme, I, I, there was something I wanted to do, which was, I think, and you may have well have done this in one of your previous shows, but I think it was worth doing. You haven't listened to all of them? No, I've listened to a few, obviously. <laughs> is that Thank you for uh, here, what I've done is I, there's one year that isn't in the 80s, uh, that I think needs to be an honorary member of the 80s, and that is 1979. I agree with you. For the sole reason that if I start reading this list of <laughs> big hits from 1979, this is the UK, but these uh, the, a lot of these will transfer. If this isn't part of the 80s, there's something wrong, because this year spawned so many great bands, so many hits. And also, for me, Gary Newman and Chubway Army are in there, <laughs> and... You know, that for me, it was once Bowie, <laughs> once I loved Bowie too much, I was looking for other stuff. And when Gary Newman appeared on the scene, that was it for me. I was like, he's the next guy for me. So 79, and I'll, and I'll only quickly skim through this because it will get boring. But you had like Our Friends Electric, Chibway Army, I Don't Like Monday's Boomtown Rats, Blondie Heart of Glass, Roxy Music, Dance Away, Injury, Hit Me With Your uh, Rhythm Stick, the YMCA, The Village People, 1979. I would have said it was <laughs> earlier than that, but maybe, I, I don't know. Me too. Police Message in a Bottle, M Pop Music, Pink Floyd, Another Brick in the Wall. So it goes on and on. Carl's Newman, obviously. Uh, so 79, if you're in, you know, if you're Squeeze, obviously we love Squeeze. <laughs> uh, and uh, ELO are in there, Madness are in there, Flying Lizards. You know, it goes on and on and on. So I think 79, if you, if you want to throw that in as an 80s year, okay. it's a kind of, it's the runway year, isn't it? I'm going to guess you graduated high school in, let's say, 1979? Oh, no. Uh, I'm not. Now, you're saying high school. So you're saying, is that secondary school for oh, me? Sorry. I would have been... I was born 66, so I would have oh, okay. left. You yeah, okay, very good. All right, so my apologies to so you. you are, you're clearly younger than, yeah, five years. I, get, I was off by five like years. That. So I was, well, I was going <laughs> mad. When, once I hit about 13, 14 years old. Oh, of course, like all of us. Yeah, that was when it was And I all, think you were probably looking on the, the UK version of that, because some of those songs, like, I, I do believe, like, YMCA probably didn't hit until, across the, until, uh, N- it was it, earlier. It no, the US, and then it probably went to the yeah. UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. It could well have been. Yeah, absolutely. But a lot, obviously, a lot of British acts. There, oh yeah, yeah. I don't know how quickly they got over here. So, what was your uh, okay? So, what was your first album you bought? You with your own money? Uh, <laughs> Hunky Dory, I think, was the first album I bought. Is I, that right? Yeah. Well, I was uh, I was taken down to HMV, which was now I think HMV exists anymore. But in Putney High Street in Southwest London, my mother took me down to HMV. And I was seven years old and um, because I had great music taste in my house, my mum had very young music taste and my brother was listening to lots of kind of uh, new wave and, and prog rock and all that kind of thing, loads of stuff. But um, so I went with my probably was 99p at the time and bought Starman David Bowie seven inch mm. of vinyl uh, over the counter, you know, and um, I listened to that repeatedly, repeatedly uh, and went to sleep singing the words in my head slightly OCD. So I think Hunky Dory was probably the first full album I bought. And yeah, I would say to this day, still probably in the top three albums for me ever, you know. Wow. What was yours, Dave? The first first album I bought? Um, With your own money. Yeah, I know. I'm uh, I'm thinking it was, as I'm thinking back, it was probably The Cars in 78. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. I'm pretty sure that was like one one of the, one of of them. And also The Knack and that 79 era. Honestly, I don't really know. I remember buying a lot of 45s. Yeah. Um, 
remember like Undercover Angel, I think was one of them, <laughs> which I learned later was about masturbating. But who knew? <laughs> I, I don't think I ever knew no? that. Oh, yeah. So Look thanks. At the, read the lyrics again. You'll be shocked. It's shocking. <laughs> I don't know that song, you see. So who did that? That, that was like Alan O'Day. Okay. Which, which, yeah. Uh, and where I, is I, he now? Did he masturbate himself to I, death? I, or? You know that could happen. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I heard that can happen. I hear you can grow Yet here you are. your palms <laughs> yes. or something. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, Suddenly go blind. Yes, exactly. That's going on that, the playlist, so you will hear it if you listen to the Spotify playlist because there's going to be one for all the songs that we talk about today. Okay. I'm going to try and think of a really obscure song <laughs> that might not be on Spotify. We'll talk about Taylor Swift or Adele or somebody who doesn't want this. <laughs> yeah. Well, this seems like a good time to take a break, so we'll be right back. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Welcome back to What Difference Does It Make? So did you immediately g- gravitate to <laughs> keyboards or what, uh, what, are you, what were you playing? I, I'm the- a terrible musician. Okay. No, I, I, That's um, not true. I know it's not true. I, <laughs> You're very modest. The first thing I did with my mate John when we were about 15, oh no, probably older, 16 or 17, we tried to buy synthesizers because mm-hmm. we wanted to sound like Depeche Mode. We wanted, to be, we wanted to do that. So um, I bought a terrible little keyboard called a Casio VL1, which now is kind of slightly collectible. Uh, and then the first prop- – did you ask me what synths I bought? Anyway, I'm going to tell you because I'm obsessed <laughs> with synthesizers. Go ahead. Um, my mate John bought a Roland SH09, which is a, which is a classic mono synth, and everybody these days is now buying all this kind of um, remade, reworked versions of these things. Uh, and I bought what was called a Sequential Circuits Pro 1. And <laughs> I've still got it. It's still in my studio. I've uh-huh. just renovated it, just put a new keyboard into it. And it's the greatest monosynth ever. And uh-huh. I've had people come over and, and you switch it on and they play it. And they go, oh, my God, this is fantastic if they're kind of, you know, analog synth freaks. 
Um, so, and we were two and fingers. You couldn't why, play chords. Why is that? What is it about the sound? Well, the how long have we got, Dave? Because this, this can get really nerdy. <laughs> the Pro One has very, the, Vince Clark, the great Vince Clark, who spawned you know uh, brilliant eighties bands left, right, and center. Had the Pro One and did all the Yazoo first albums on it. So if you listen to Don't Go and those tracks uh, off, off Upstairs at Eric's, <laughs> loads of that was done on the Pro 1. And he loved it because um, the envelopes on it... Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to lose a few of you. Mm-hmm. The envelopes on it oh, were, were really fast, really mm-hmm. quick. The attack, you have an envelope and a sound has an envelope, has an attack, a decay, a sustain and release. These are the points of, a, of, a, of, a, of an envelope. <laughs> The attack on the Pro One is really quick, so you can do bass drums with it, so you can get it to do this sound, but it will do really, really tight bass sounds and stuff. So when you listen to those early Vince Clark songs, and he was obsessed with everything being metronomic and being on the 16th beat or whatever it was, uh, he because he was a computer musician first and foremost, um, the Pro One for him was like, that was the thing. So, uh, yeah, that was my synth, and I bought it in Soho Soundhouse, mm-hmm. and I took it back, and I treated myself to a taxi back from London with this massive box and this synthesizer, and that, yeah, never looked back. <laughs> uh, what, what would you, what is the quintessential Vince Clark song? I mean, like, for you, like, what is, like, when you think of that sound, and, you know, like, uh, if I was going to put something on the Spotify playlist. Well, it's either Don't Go... I'm trying to think what uh, um or um where you hear the bass and it's like it's Yeah and that that's the don't that's the pro one and then he did uh only you is all pro one only you is all pro oh, one from start right? to finish oh. all the dr- bass drums and that do 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 that all that it's delayed that's all pro one that whole track so if you put only you on that's the sequential circuits pro one, ladies and gentlemen. I put it on often. It's one of yeah. my favorite songs it's of all time. It's a fantastic song, and of course, it was that. It was for. It was that brilliant blending of electronics and soul, which lots and lots of duos did in the eighties. That voice. So you're listening to the synth. I'm listening to the voice. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, that was it. Alison Moyer with her bluesy, soulful voice, yeah. and then. Vince with his totally clinical electronic, you know, staccato sounds. It's like he's writing for some of these when when we do our research. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, and then, okay, so let's go to uh, your first first show you saw. What was that? What was that? Uh, it, funnily enough, I was never a massive gig goer, but um, the the first one you were I, locked in your room uh, and your computers and just I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I was. Um, Gary Newman, 1979, Living Ornaments to Hammersmith Odeon. And uh, so he was still, was he Tube Way Army? It was Tube Way Army, I guess it would have been billed as. And it was, and to this day, if you go and see Gary Newman, if you know. He's playing you, in L.A. Yeah, yeah, you know, and he's, he's a rocker. He's a punk, really. He was mm-hmm. a punk and, and, and has gone back to his roots over the last probably 15 years. And, and when you go and see Gary Newman, it isn't a synth pop gig at all. Um, but he came out on stage because I hadn't seen Bowie by the, uh, in 17, I hadn't seen Bowie. And would have, you know, that would have been probably the thing for me. But um, he came out on stage at the Hemisphere Odeon and he just, it was in, he was androgynous and he had this pale face mm-hmm. and he had the, he had this black jumpsuit and this blue, and he had black, everything was black except for this blue and red tie. And I have one of those ties because yeah. I went to Kensington Market and bought one with my mates around the same time. Where did you get that tie from? We went and bought one. And um, he just came on and just had this brilliant light show as well. And at that point, I think, you're going forever about Gary Newman. At that point, lots of gigs, you know, it was it was long hair and guitars and we're late 70s, we're post-punk. So New Wave was coming through, but 
he just made the effort to make it visually brilliant because lots of the guys were stood behind synthesizers. Mm -hmm. Billy Curry was on his violin, but really it was, apart from said sharply playing the drums, it was just guys behind synths, which as we all know, can be very, very dull. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you go to a David Guetta gig, bless him, he's brilliant David Guetta, Mm -hmm. but it's just a guy behind two decks. And one of the dullest gigs I ever went to is Craftwork. That the um, the the um, oh, I love that. Uh, yeah. No, I love Craftwork. I absolutely adore <laughs> I them. But it was the it was the uh, pocket calculator. It was the you know the computer yeah. world tour, and they came out, and it was really boring. And I guess at that time we were young, and we were like, "Come on, do something." You're expecting oh. them to move. Yeah, yeah, but now that's a legendary gig, and somebody yeah. said, well, "You went to that, that that concert, you know?" So Gary Newman, I think Gary Newman slash Two Way Army, it was just brilliant, and and it was I came out of that concert thinking. I just want to be that guy. I just want to be in that world. And, and all that sound, I, the, the sound of those soaring synthesizers through a big PA. When you go and see his gigs now, he still does a few tracks. Mm-hmm. I f- I'm getting the shivers now. There's these sounds of those synths where you go, oh, man, that because that was totally me. I was totally against guitars at that point in my life. I was like, no, it's got to be electronic. So, yeah, Gary Newman. It's so funny you say that because we've talked about this. Synth... I also love this kind of music. I don't have the knowledge you do. I'm just just as a listener. But when synth was inserted in the, I guess in the 80s, into rock music here yeah. with some of the rock bands, did not like it at all. I do not right. feel rock it. They right. don't go together to me. I don't. It's, not what, that sort of Van Halen jump type synth moment. Yeah. Or, I'm thinking about Rush too. Rush. And, uh, <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. That, I was, tried that I for was, a little while. I was not a prog rock fan at yeah. all. And that kind of guys showing yeah. off yeah. I'm not really into that into in, dudes with like, I've got so much money I can buy all these keyboards and then also I know how to do all this <laughs> that's not my thing I'm much more simple and you know but they were trying to evolve I mean I know a lot of them did use the synth I mean that was part of their sound but Rush in particular they inserted it I, I think because they were passionate they wanted to evolve but yeah. it's not I don't like it I don't like the for as much as I love the, the synth pop music I do not like it with my rock music yeah. So then, if you were talking post-punk, you know, when you had mm-hmm. the new wave time, that was great. New order, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That was guitarists, not great guitarists though, not great musicians. Right. It was yeah. Manchester bands or whatever it might have been. That I loved all that as well. And you still love these bands. I mean, do, will you go see Depeche Mode if they play? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the last time I saw Depeche Mode, I'm very fortunate because I managed to meet a lot of these people. I managed to meet a lot of these people over my in my career in in radio generally. Mm -hmm. So I I had some. So I have this kind of weird thing where, like, the last time I saw Depeche Mode was at I think it was like Wembley. It was one of the big arenas in London, uh, and went with three friends, and we just did that thing of like stumbling down the back steps and standing in amongst all the people and standing with a beer, not really being able to see very well. Martin Gore was behind a, you know, mm-hmm. the, the front of house guy. And, and I was like, this is cool. I don't mind, you know, and, and I love and just let the music wash over you. And I'm kind of too old now, guys. I'm 53. I'm not pushing down the front and standing in amongst all the people like that. And I, I, I did do that once. I once left when I was working for this company. I, I said, look, I've got to go back to London. It was outside London. So I've got to go back to London because I've got to do this thing. And I made up some excuse. And I went, I left this film shoot. I was the sound engineer on this film shoot. And I literally put the mic down on the floor. I have to go now. Sorry. And I left and came back to London and went to Wembley. So this was about 88, <laughs> 89. And my mate Chris was waiting for me. And we got into Wembley to see Depeche Mode. I didn't tell them that. And we and we pushed all the way down to the mm-hmm. front because we were going to stand right at the front and look right up Dave Garn's nose. Mm-hmm. And, in, you know, and we did that and it was great. But I was, you know, I was much younger. Uh, so, yeah, Depression Mode, 
that was like a year or two ago, something like that. Well, I saw them at the at the Hollywood Bowl uh, a year or so ago, and I asked Dan. I actually asked Dan because he's the biggest Depeche Mode fan I know. Mm-hmm. So I actually asked him to be my date, but it would have been a long, a long, <laughs> a long haul for him. A long way to go. It was a great show. It yeah. was a great show. I actually, just, where was that? Sorry, where was that? That was Hollywood Bowl. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Last year, I think last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, they have a film coming out uh, yes. this month. I they think. have they have an Anton Corbin film coming out, don't they? Yeah, yeah. That, uh, I was just reading about uh, today, actually. Yeah, yeah that's. Uh, I, I don't really know much about that movie, but it's um, it's, it's what is it? Do you know much about the Tepeshmo uh, uh, film? It's going to be visibly vis- visually beautiful. It will I'm, be. I'm yeah. sure it will be. But yeah, I, I'm sure a little concert film, a little bit. Uh, yep. I'm sure behind mm-hmm. the scenes type. Yeah, so, yeah, you know yeah. your your concert, your basic Depeche Mode concert. Yeah, so yeah, you have yeah, another well, Depeche Mode story to tell? So okay, you you said you got to meet people. <laughs> Yes. Let's get into that. Did you did you meet Dave? Have you met Martin? <laughs> I have met. Uh, yeah, I've met. Um, well, so I, I've met kind of Dave. Dave. Anybody that knows Depeche Mode knows that Dave Gone was clinically dead twice in his life. And so when you go to a Depeche Mode gig now, if you can get to go backstage and try and meet them, he doesn't hang around. He's over that, and he just goes back to his hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all fairly kind of quiet about everything now. Uh, Fletch Fletch is very good friends with a friend of mine. Um, and so I phone my friend up and I say, hey, what's going on? What are you doing? He's like, I'm in Fletcher's back garden in Spain. We're just like, you know, hanging out in the sun. And I'm like, it's with Fletch from the best <laughs> mode. That's so exciting. Um, so I, yeah, I've met Fletch and I, so I've kind of been introduced to them and, and shook their hands and stuff. Um, so that's all good. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm still starstruck by people to this day. I, even if I've probably met them a few times, I still, you know, certain bands, you're just like, it's it's them. They did, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. when you think about, because we all know this, if you're a music fan, when you meet somebody that's done something that absolutely touches your soul, I personally can't go, yeah, whatever, it's cool. You know, they've, they've you just want to go, oh, my God. I, saw, I was yeah. at, at one of the ASCAP awards ceremonies and Annie Lennox went up to get an award. And she sat back down and I had a few drinks and I thought, I'm just going to go up and say something because, you know, I don't want to miss this opportunity. <laughs> so as I'd, I'd gone up to get my award. So I kind of thought, OK, I'm not just anybody now. I'm an award winner. She's not going to push me away. <laughs> Her people aren't going to rugby tackle me to the ground as I move towards her, you know. And um, so I just went up to her and I just said, thank you for everything you've done. And she went, oh, my God, that's so sweet. Thank you. And I shook her hand and I walked off and I'm like, just, yeah, Annie Lennox. You know, because she's obviously, again, the Eurythmics, phenomenal see, band. See, that's the opposite of me. I could never do that because yeah. I think nothing good could come of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it. Like, what are they going to say? Oh, my, yeah. I mean, that's, well, that's know, wonderful. I, that's I, genuine. Because I, I always feel like I'm going to say, I'm just insert foot in mouth. You're my biggest just, fan. Like, what, oh, oh, I so think, so what can I say that they have never heard before? And it's, it's. Yeah. And I, and again, I say, you know, I had a reason i did i i just gone on stage I, so I was on the war no, no but i mean it. i'm not with you i wouldn't just walk straight up to them out of nowhere and go hello because it would be a little bit cheesy but i thought okay i, I can sort of get away with this did so, you have a ward in hand when you i had a ward in okay. hand <laughs> all right very good but do you know what like that's though, smart I, I still i will still go up to people and go i'm so sorry can i just shake your hand i'm not so i sorry i don't say that because the one thing famous yeah, people hate one thing people, famous people hate is when you say, I'm really sorry, I know you don't like this, but, you know, any famous yeah. person I know has always said to me, I just wish people would come and go, hey, can I get a photo? And they either go no or yes, you know. Anyway, so that was the Annie Lennox thing. Well, that's good. 
Because it's it's either yeah oh they'll be a jerk or they'll be yeah. or you yeah, know like you know, or you'll feel like yeah. a jerk. I always feel like it's a no win situation. Well, I don't know, and you might go but, to your grave and go, I should have said something. Well, I did wait. Yeah, for for Springsteen. I mean, Springsteen oh, okay. is my Gary Newman. I okay. waited. He had a book signing. I waited like days. Day, yeah, <laughs> it was yeah, it was Rosh Hashanah. Yeah, yeah. I waited like I, took, I was not in Temple. I was at the Temple of Bruce, and it, it was like five six hours. Yeah. I just got to touch his soft leather jacket, and I, <laughs> I smiled, and you know. So, and did you not? You, did, you didn't say anything to him. I did say. I said. I actually asked if he would do this for Elvis, and he said, "Yeah, yeah, I think I See? would." Like, yeah, that's cute. Yeah, it was right. And a good well, question. Course, you know, but I had six hours to think of that. When it's, <laughs> but like, it's. I've been in situations where you know you see someone within you know, right right up to you, and or you know like I. I can't. I can't. I just yeah. can't. I can't. Yeah. I saw Michael Stipe. Like, uh, no, nope, 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 right. nope. Dave's well, a huge R.E.M. fan. Okay. Well, I'll, so my David Bowie story. So I'll tell you my David Bowie okay. story about that exact, that exact same, well, nearly that exact same thing. Uh, when I was working on Virgin Radio, which is a commercial radio, yeah, uh, you know, it's a big brand, but it's a commercial radio station in in the UK. And um, at the time, it was like '99, I think. So um, uh, Bowie had an album out called Hours. Mm-hmm. It's kind of getting some airplay, I think. Mm-hmm. We were playing it because Virgin's a rock station and it was, yeah. you know, the, the Bowie fits the fits the remit. Anyway, uh, I went back to my desk because I was working on the breakfast show at the time and the program director phoned me up and he said, hey, uh, you know, I'm going over to the Maida Vale Studios, the BBC Maida Vale Studios, uh, because Bowie's recording two songs for the station because mm. Bowie was doing this junket, you know, and if you were playing his stuff, his new album, um, he would do he would do a couple of songs for every single station. And, I, and he said, do you want to come down? I was like, do I want to come down? I have down? chills. Well, see, oh, my God. Do I want to come down? So I was oh, like yeah. that. Yeah, whatever, man. You know. So I jumped on my motorbike and I went over to Maida Vale and uh, we go into the studio and the, it's one of the small studios. It has this kind of mezzanine floor. So you've got these steps and you sit up on this. You're raised up over the top of whoever's mm-hmm. you know recording and performing. And um, so we're ushered in. <laughs> Me and this guy, Nick, who's a, a really good friend of mine, we're ushered into this room and I'm like, God, this is like the freakiest thing for me in the world mm-hmm. because from the age of seven to now I'm in my 30s or whatever, you know, um, <laughs> well, something like that. Um, there he is. He had the long hair. He's smoking like a trooper. It's David Bowie. It's Galen Dorsey on bass and all the other guys on that band that he had at the time. And uh, so we sit down and um, he plays one of the tracks off the new album, which I can't remember what it was. Sorry, David. Mm. Uh, and then he turns to us. So there's just me and Nick in this room with the plugger and a couple of other guys from the record label. And he looks up and he says, uh, what do you want us to do now then? So, <laughs> um, changes? I don't know. Pretty things? I'm just throwing out wow. the greatest songs ever. Mm-hmm. And he says, okay, here we go. You know, still don't know what I've been waiting for. And, we're, and I'm sat wow. there yeah. watching David Bowie singing a song that I tore the grooves out with the needle when I was a kid in front of me for the two of us you know and he does it and he finishes this song and it's just the most fantastic thing and so the guy so they finish you know and he stops and he's smoking and everyone's shuffling about and Mick from the record label comes up to me and he says uh, do you want to come and say hello (laughs) well see in that situation fuck yeah no no I go like this I go so I go uh, no I don't know what to say to him I absolutely can't do this because I'm going to be tired that's funny bless him he says to me shut up and come and say hello to him you know so I go down the stairs and I shake his hand and I said something about (laughs) I was something to do with um, I come all this way and I get a terrible seat behind a pillar because there was a pillar up there Mm -hmm. that we were kind of behind and we 
ducking mm. our heads around it, you know. I made some joke and he laughed and I was like, I've made him laugh. Uh, you know, I can mm-hmm. go to my grave happy. And we chatted for what felt like probably 30 seconds. It might have been a bit longer, I don't know. And we got ushered out and I got back on my motorbike and I rode home at about 150 miles an hour. Thinking, if I die now, it doesn't matter because I've met him. I've met the guy. Yeah, yeah. I've met the man. Mm. And one on one, you know. And um, the next day, <laughs> so anyway, I'll, I'll get on with this. So the next day I'm at my desk and the phone goes and it's the guy from the record label. He says, hey, you know, how do you think? Did you have a good time? And I said, Mick, you know, you don't understand, man. I bought Starman when I was seven. He said, I didn't realise you were such a big fan. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this, that was like a dream come mm. true for me. He said, oh, because you should have hung around because we went back to his hotel room. We hung out all oh. night. He loves all that. I'm like, no, no. Anyway, so I, <laughs> I, I kind of touched base with him and, you know, I will know to this day that I, that I spoke yeah. to him. Okay, so we will stop it right here. Having so much fun. We will return next week. We will continue our discussion. And uh, until then, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.